Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. You must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy... This was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Monday, August 21st, 2023, the 943rd day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'm your moderator.substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month, and in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free a couple days later on a wide variety of podcast platforms and, of course, Rumble. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. So you may know if you're a fan of Badlands Media, in addition to being a fan of this podcast, that every Saturday night, John Harold, Patel Patriot, Patrick Gunnels, and I do Devolution Power Hour together. And we often have really, really interesting conversations. I have a lot of fun talking to those guys because they're both 
extremely open-minded people who know quite a lot about subjects I'm extremely interested in, besides the fact that they are, of course, my friends as well. And on Saturday night, we had an extended conversation about how to wake people up and what sort of information wakes people up. And John is of the mind, as many people are, that we don't want to put these people off track by presenting them with ideas that they are going to recoil from. You don't want to present them with anything that you can't back up with the sorts of information that they will consider to be evidence and proof of what you're saying in order for them to take you seriously. Now, you might know your idea is entirely correct and irrefutable or that the weight of logic and reason are heavily on the side of your idea, whereas their idea, though a widely believed default explanation, makes no sense whatsoever. It could be an idea like that, but people of a certain mindset are worried about presenting those sorts of things to the normie sleeping mind because they are going to reject it out of hand. They don't respect the sort of proof and evidence that you might be able to present. And once that has happened, you're going to have a much harder time connecting with that person and getting them to open their mind to other things. Now, I want to be clear that I think that makes a lot of sense. There is definitely something to that. And there are normies out there who are going to reject things in this way and never listen to you again. Or at least you think they won't. They will tell you that they think you're crazy or stupid. They might talk behind your back to other people because they want those other people to say to them, oh, yeah, those ideas are crazy and stupid. I totally agree with you. I would never listen to a thing that person says. And upon hearing that, they get to think, right, okay, that person's crazy and stupid. The idea that I had before is still correct. That's a very safe place to be. The two people who do not want to engage this new and crazy sounding idea that is almost definitely true will reinforce one another's understanding as standard issue villagers. They will both understand that idea sounds crazy. People will not be impressed by us if we go around talking about these crazy ideas. We could be threatened with losing social status if we talk about these ideas, these ideas have been called conspiracy theories. These ideas have been called distractions. These ideas have been called anti-intellectual or anti-science or homophobic or racist or whatever it is. They know they're not allowed to consider the idea at all. They want to make sure that their reading was correct. They need to ask somebody else, hey, we're not allowed to talk about that or think about that, right? And the other person says, yeah, that's right. Everybody knows you're not allowed to talk or think about that. They both feel better and all good. There are absolutely people out there who will react like that when presented with new ideas. And if they react like that to you, you're not going to be able to wake them up right now. And so some people's approach is to make sure that before they come out with any ideas like this, they have certain forms of documentary evidence to back themselves up. That is not my approach. 
And we discussed these various approaches the other night. And one of the things that I said to John was that there is actually a level of truth that is deeper than material facts about the world. And so what am I talking about when I say material facts about the world? I'm talking about, for instance, COVID tests that we know don't work, but that nonetheless constitute the test for COVID. And so the results of those tests constitute the amount of COVID, the number of cases. Everyone can know all of those aspects and still believe that they are talking about a material fact about the world. So a material fact about the world doesn't even have to be true. It's just a piece of evidence, information among other information that may be valid or may not, may be convincing or may not. It's just a material fact about the world. Similarly, a government document is a material fact about the world. It is either real or not real. People's interpretations of it can be correct or not, persuasive or not. But regardless, assuming the document is real and legitimate, it exists and constitutes information among other information, a piece of evidence that might support a conclusion and might not. A piece of evidence can be used to support conclusions that are antithetical to the conclusion we should be reaching, and that will eventually be in the eye of the beholder. There are actual events. There are things people said. There are relationships and connections and tie-ins. There are voting records. There are sources of funding. There are expert interpretations. There are facts of science and physics and mathematics. There are all sorts of sources for material facts about the world. And I'm not saying material facts about the world aren't important. They certainly are very important. They're just not the deepest level of truth. The deepest level of truth is beneath that. It's pretty clear to me now, even as a former atheist, that it is not possible to derive moral or spiritual truth from facts about the material world and the necessary conclusions of well-formed logic and reasoning are also more true than material facts about the world. And so what do I mean by that? Well, at the beginning of my show, in the intro music that many of you probably just fast forward through every day, I say truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality. I've talked about this and written about this at length, but the idea is that we imagined for a long time. And when I say we, I mean myself and anyone else who was formerly asleep. But the truth is, I think that there's a pretty strong chance that that encompasses everybody in certain ways. There is no way everyone out there was awake to all of the things that have been learned and discovered over the last few years. And if someone was, kudos to them, amazing. I would assume that person has even woken up to new truths about mankind, humanity, the existence of God, the meaning of love. People have had awakenings on all sorts of levels, even if they were hardcore truthers for the last 25 years. But we imagined for a long time that there were these authoritative sources. And we as smart people, particularly children of the college educated who themselves were headed off to college eventually, we were more or less indoctrinated into the belief that there was 
an authoritative source out there. Facts could be derived from somewhere and we could actually get answers to the most important and difficult questions that humanity has ever pondered over thousands of years. Now, with our degree of technological advancement, we can understand our way beyond these spiritual questions that have plagued humanity for the duration of its existence. We were blessed and fortunate to be born into this time where we are able to solve all of the world's problems based on advancements in science. And we can just find out all these answers by checking the latest research claiming the mantle of science and then telling other people that they were too unsophisticated to understand what it was we were talking about. Their undeveloped, uneducated brains couldn't understand all of these things that science has figured out that therefore necessitate the non-existence of God, for instance. But we can even move it out of that realm. We can talk about COVID and the COVID statistics. If you know the statistics aren't real, then the rest of it blows up immediately. But a lot of people to this day still deny that the statistics aren't real. And they believe that the statistics are real. And that, yes, people might have made errors, but they're still committed to this great project of human understanding. And so their number one goal when they make an error is to correct that error and never, ever repeat it. Except the problem in all these fields is if you don't keep repeating the errors the way they want you to, you don't get any more money. But we thought that these answers derived from science were authoritative answers and that science was an authoritative source. It could tell us about these things in the world. We would get the data. We would get the science. We would hear what the research over whatever duration of time has produced. We would hear what the scientists projected. And then rather than just taking all that information, assuming it's even true and thinking about what we should do with it on a moral level, we just also said, okay, well, what's the answer then science? And we looked to science, not only for information about the world that we can use to improve our decision-making, we pretended that the set of material facts derived from the world that science had collected and then analyzed actually constituted advice, even on a moral scale, because science as the authoritative source was the only magisteria from which we could derive an answer of this magnitude. The scientists who study this stuff all the time were the only people whose opinions should be taken seriously. They were the authoritative source. They passed down the word from the authoritative source. We are told the words of the authoritative source and what we must do through a medium, usually on television or social media, the newspapers, etc., or our boss or our family or community, all of them following the authoritative source. So over the last few years, many of us have been waking up in various ways. We are at various stages. We wake up to different issues. Certain issues appeal to us and we want to know more. Certain issues disgust us and we turn away. Some of us have greater skepticism than others. So some of us won't look into issues that others are fascinated by. Because we think they must be crazy 
to be searching for those answers in that place. But one of the things we eventually wake up to, which is the aspect that brings so many people in this movement to God or back to God in their lives, is that they realize there is not an authoritative source made up by experts and the material facts they can derive from the world. That is not enough. Believing whatever we receive from the authoritative source is us building an entire belief system around the logical fallacy of believing that something is true because of who says it. And that's something that people have been letting go of. Now, for me, I am focused on the awakening in a different way. It is not my goal to make sure that my approach doesn't turn people off. I don't care about that at all. People will find me or they won't. And at the time they find me, I want them to be able to listen to me because I'm saying the right things that help them understand what's happening in the world, not because they think I sound like they can trust me as much as someone on the news. And that's not the sort of thing you come to early on in an awakening process, generally speaking, unless you have really been smacked across the face by the world and it says, hey, you got it all wrong. You can accept it or not, but you got it all wrong. Most of us get there at some point, but unless you get there really, really quickly, you're not going to start out with my show. And part of the reason I think about things and handle things the way I do is because I was forced by the world to wake up really quickly. I learned almost immediately that the ways I had been processing information were wrong. I already had plenty of my own doubts about, about the media and the political parties and the morality of the people I always heard preaching to everyone, many of whom I knew in Hollywood. I knew that the woke stuff was nonsense. I knew Me Too was nonsense. I knew they were at least misusing the climate change narrative, though I still mostly trusted the science and the material facts from the world as they had been communicated to me. But when you realize it's all a lie, like all of it, the whole thing, and you realize that the people you always thought were smart are actually just brainwashed people who are good at a job and went to a good college, things really fall apart. So I immediately endeavored to rid myself of all belief and opinion that I had derived on the basis of received knowledge. The set of things that I often describe as those things everybody knows. Like for instance, everybody knows that women are paid less than men for the same hours at the same job. In 2014, I would argue that that was among the set of things that everybody knows. Everybody was familiar with that narrative, with the statistic. It was like 82 cents on the dollar. And most people had never researched it at all. They knew that women were, quote unquote, historically oppressed, also received knowledge. And the statistic about the so-called pay gap mapped onto what they understood of reality from other received knowledge. There were, of course, 
a small percentage of people who knew that this statistic was wrong and went out and said it. And then, of course, there was a probably very sizable population of people who knew that the statistic was wrong and didn't say anything about it to the point where they would agree the statistic was right in social situations so that they didn't have to deal with the argument. Now, in 2014, 2015, whatever that was, maybe it was 2016, I would say that that pay gap narrative was among the set of things that everybody knows. If there was a percentage of people out there saying that the narrative was false, that percentage was so small that they were easily marginalized. All you had to do was call them misogynists and the argument was over. So it was my conscious effort to get rid of all of the belief, all of the opinion, everything I thought I knew about the facts of the world that had been received from authority things that I couldn't observe and verify myself and things that I couldn't reason my way into believing were necessarily true. And that's an ongoing project, by the way. I'm not saying that project is completed. It can probably never be completed, particularly with how much we all accept on the basis of false authority in our world, on the basis of wanting to believe what everybody else believes because we are socially incentivized into believing it and punished when we express dissent. So much of what we believe is accepted information received from authority that we are willing and happy to recite at any point we are called upon to do so because it is our social obligation in our quest for social status in the party of false decorum to express a certain set of beliefs and disavow another certain set of beliefs. None of it having any basis in whether or not the underlying claims are true. We accept a whole bunch of things that aren't true as true even when we know they're not true or probably not true, or we have absolutely no reason to believe that they are true. We will attempt to convince ourselves that the beliefs we must express to meet these social demands are actually true because we want to preserve our self-image as honest people. We don't want to be speaking lies. We will speak lies because we know we have to, but we want them to feel true so that we don't feel like bad people when saying the things that we must say in order to comply with those social standards. Now, if we understand that the sleeping mind, the unawakened mind, forms belief that way and holds on to those beliefs based on social norms and customs, incentives and punishment structures, it makes no sense to me to try to talk them all out of it with facts until the point where you're already certain that they know the truth and you want their self-image as a very, very serious intellectual, very serious person to be upheld with a wealth of knowledge they can then substitute for what they used to think was knowledge 
and feel like serious people while expressing a belief they once thought was crazy. That's an awfully long road to travel down if you think you're going to wake up someone through that process. That's not going to happen. You may well give them the confidence to go out and speak forcefully about their beliefs. And that is absolutely wonderful, by the way. I'm not saying that that isn't of incredible value because I absolutely believe it is, which is why this work is valuable. But you're not going to get someone started with that stuff. And here's the thing. If your approach is always that, while knowing that you can't appeal to a certain set of people with that approach, then the benefit you're trying to create by maintaining your credibility in these people's eyes is going to be totally wasted and useless. It doesn't matter whether or not they think you're credible. They're not going to listen to you either way. They're not going to wake up and change their beliefs because you've provided new facts. They're not going to engage the wake up process at all until they remove themselves from whatever emotional calculation they're employing to stay in the position they're in. Now, you might be able to create a great deal of cognitive dissonance by presenting material facts from the world, well-researched, well-argued, all of that is wonderful if you're able to create that cognitive dissonance because people are going to come to these conclusions on their own. They have to. They have to think through it on their own and understand, I cannot pretend this is the other way around. And again, that's primarily a social calculation. They might think about it and realize they're not certain of the facts they presented. Your facts seem like they must be true. So they don't want to be embarrassed in front of other people by claiming to know things about the wrong set of facts. But I have a different approach because I think that what really sticks in people's craw, what they really go home and think about, what really gets the wheels turning is understanding immediately that their position is actually the preposterous one and or their position that they believe is pure and moral and necessary from a moral sense is actually the evil position. They have been unfortunately brainwashed into believing something terrible. And here's an example. Let's talk about illegal aliens at our border. The facts derived from the material world that everybody knows as of about 10 years ago were that we need these immigrants, people employ these immigrants to do jobs Americans don't want to do. They are not taking your jobs. They are coming here for a better life. They are people just like you are. We should give them jobs. In fact, we should give them health care and give them schooling because if they're going to be here, which they are, we want them to be well-educated so that they have a chance to succeed. Now, are we making sure that Americans are well-educated? No, we sure aren't. But let's leave all that aside. And if you disagree with any of that, those justifications, you're racist. Ten years ago, that was more or less what everybody knows. The TV said it. 
everybody in the unit party, standard issue villagers out there, believe what the TV says. They take all the talking points. They get some counter talking points from quote unquote both sides, and they choose which one of these received beliefs from authority they will identify with and then argue for. And pretty much all the time, that position is among the set of things that everybody knows. Then there will be a set of people who know that what everybody knows is wrong and they will say nothing and do nothing. Then there is a small percentage who understands the thing that everybody knows is wrong and will actually speak up against it. So let's say you're talking to one of these standard issue villagers about immigration and they go through all those things that everybody knows and you're like that's wrong that's wrong that's wrong that's wrong that's wrong but of course you can't say that to everything they say or they will immediately freak out and shut down but even if you can they will eventually make it all the way to the end and still believe that even if all that stuff is wrong you're still racist because underlying all of those material facts about the world that they believe they know is the justification for your belief that they have also received from the authoritative source. All of the facts that you are going to present to them, you're actually presenting those because you are a heinous bigot who doesn't want brown people here. So even if all your facts are true, you are still wrong and evil because of your moral position Relative to this particular issue, the problem is not that they are lying about absolutely everything that has to do with illegal aliens in America. The problem is that you hate brown people and in service of making your argument look serious, you present all of these facts that they know to be wrong. Good luck getting some sleeping person to wake up with that strategy. And that strategy is the one most commonly employed by everyone all the time, and it is always going to be a failure. I've talked about this at length in the past. I've talked about playing a game of links and sources where they send you a link and you send them a link and then they tell you, oh, well, that's an unreliable source according to this link. And you can play links and sources with them for an hour to try to prove some ancillary and useless point about the fiction they believe in. That is a waste of time, a waste of energy, and a total distraction, and it ultimately doesn't get you anywhere close, logically speaking, to having presented a convincing argument to someone who doesn't know anything about the subject. Ultimately, they will even say, oh, I don't know why you spend so much time studying this subject. As if it is morally better, it makes them a better person with a fuller life to know less about something than you do. You have to understand the way they believe and the motivation for their belief if you want to understand how to get through to them. And by the way, I'm not saying I'm some kind of master at this. I'm saying the other technique clearly does not work and it does not work for clear obvious and totally understandable reasons. So we should stop trying it at the bottom of their argument about illegal aliens is the idea that it is their answer or your racist. That's it. There's nothing else at play. They don't want to be racist 
So they will say the things they're told to say. There's nothing deeper than that. It's only that. Arguing the rest of it on the details of their fiction means nothing. And I've certainly gone through my approach on this subject before on this podcast. But I know it works because I see the light turn on in people's eyes when I'm talking to them. They believe people are fleeing from economic devastation. Well, hey, who created that economic devastation? Is it the global regime who has done X, Y, and Z? And I know you believe that they are fleeing gang violence or climate change or domestic violence, and they are escaping with their families claiming asylum here so that they can finally be safe and try to have a fulfilling life as we all do. I totally understand the compassion, but how are the people from 150 countries getting into Central America and Mexico in order to cross our border? Doesn't it seem like there must be something else going on there? Doesn't it seem like there's maybe other countries they could have gotten to? Well, hey, the thing is, actually, these global regime aligned NGOs, the same global regime, by the way, that created the economic devastation in that country, demonstrably. Well, they have these NGOs that go find the people who are going to come over here. They're going to make that trip. It's called UN migration. And there are other versions besides that. But there are global migration programs. And we always hear the same stories about the purpose of those programs. So those NGOs go into these economically devastated countries and they figure out who they might need as workers in our country or other countries around the world, obviously. And then they will convince or coax or maybe coerce people into making the trip promises of a better life. Here's a place where you can make more money and you can send it home. And eventually we promise we're going to reunite you with your family. And so they fly over, they get dropped off somewhere south of the border. Eventually they wind up with the cartels. They are used as drug mules. People are kidnapped and assaulted. Women and children are raped and abused. They are sold into the sex trade. And then once they cross the borders, facilitated by Mexican drug cartels who are working with that same global regime, they are handed off to similar NGOs affiliated with that same global regime and then distributed throughout the country so that people from the same country are generally sent toward the same cities so that they can develop their own pocket communities there. Now, we're going to give them jobs. We're going to give them something we call health care, and we're going to give them something we call education. And a few years down the road, on all the same justifications, we're going to give them the right to vote. And then all you really have to do is open a link to a New York Times article about how New York City was trying to give illegal aliens the right to vote. Or you could pick the place nearest you. Now, if you're dealing with a particularly tedious communist, they will have interrupted you 30 or 40 or 2000 times before you can ever get all of that out, asking you to prove each and every element of that story. And if you feel the need to make sure you maintain your credibility in their eyes, you might start doing what they're asking of you rather than telling the story about what's actually happening. 
you might get yourself dragged into a game of links and sources that you didn't even intend to play just because they are saying they don't believe anything you're saying. Well, they don't have to. They can either be polite or not. They can have the conversation or not. If they're not going to have the conversation and they're not going to be polite, stop trying because it's not going to work no matter how many facts you give them. If you want it to work, even though you know it's not going to work, that's on you. They want you to begin substantiating the things that you're saying because they want to attack your credibility. It's not that something you're doing doesn't demand credibility or compromises your credibility. It's that they are looking for a way to dismiss what you're saying. And that's the easy one in that instance. That is always going to be the easy one from people who pretend to be convinced by material facts about the world. That is not what they're doing. Their beliefs are derived from information received on authority from the authoritative source, and they are held and espoused because of an incentive and punishment structure within the party of false decorum. The important thing is presenting the entire story in a coherent way that maps onto the reality they already understand but were lied to about. There is already enough information in their minds derived from the central narrative and the authoritative source that will map onto the thing I just said. They know that's how the world works. They have heard the statistics on the sexual assaults south of the border, for instance, or the fact that fentanyl is being smuggled into the country by the same people trafficking all of these humans in. You show them the article that says, hey, the regime is trying to make it so illegal aliens can vote in this country. Don't you think that's a little weird when they're telling us that illegals never vote in our elections because they're not allowed to? Or at the very least, isn't that something that I could be, as an American citizen, a little upset about? Doesn't my vote get diluted when you allow people who aren't from this country to vote? If they still want to think you're crazy and evil and immoral and racist after expressing that belief, that's on them. That's when you just say, okay, Kami, go with that. That's on them. You're racist now in their eyes. That is what they want to say to you. Now, if you are a friend or family member of that person and they are saying that you're racist for saying all that stuff and not wanting illegal immigration, you really don't have a relationship with that person. You know whether or not your friends and family members hate people of different skin colors. And the thing is, if they want to go that route, you just say, Hey, Kami, so that situation that I just described that you think is still somehow racist, doesn't that situation sound a whole lot like everything you knew about the African slave trade? Right. Like the uh, the British Empire, that whole empire thing trying to rule the world. They went into these other countries and devastated them. And then they took the people from the place they devastated and sent them overseas. And while there were people traveling from all over the world to go to America to have a better life, these people, they had a very difficult and uncomfortable life waiting for them. That's the sort of story you can leave someone with 
Let them stew in that because your version makes sense and their version makes no sense. They know your version maps onto reality because they know many of the same facts. They were just told all those facts, those material facts derived from the world mean something entirely different than they do. Their meaning is totally flipped over now in this new understanding. Could you actually be right about the meaning of this? Could someone have lied to them and tricked them and deceived them? Well, especially now that is very effective because they are beginning to understand that they have been lied to and tricked and deceived on a very, very deep level. So finding out that there's one more, well, that's something that's possible. And you see, the thing is, the reason they're ready to call you racist for your opinion on illegal aliens in the United States of America is because everybody knows that that's the right position to have. You can't be racist. There's nothing worse than being racist, and they know they're not racist. If the way to be not racist is to believe the thing they were told to believe and say all the things they were told to say, well, then that's the kind of not racist they want to be. In fact, that's why a few years ago, they all read a book called Anti-Racist that required racism in order to work, which they were happy to adopt because they already believed all those things. If they want to call you racist at the end of your presentation of that story, the response is, okay, but I'm not the one supporting this slave trade that we have at the southern border. And you can just leave it there. And you should leave it there. You have to be okay with them not being convinced. They are not responding to reason. They are not responding to logic, and they certainly are not responding to material facts derived from the world. All you can do is present them with the truth and leave them to consider it. If they have a belief that they hold because they think it makes them a good person, and then they realize that the belief makes them a bad person, that's not the sort of thing that they're just going to be comfortable with. And it's also entirely possible that if you make them feel that way, they're not going to want you around. But the truth is that long term, you have been honest with that person, which is the most possible respect you can pay another person. It is not our job to look out for the emotions of others upon hearing the truth. And it is therefore not our job to figure out how we can manipulate them into believing the things we want them to believe. But I bring all this up because it seems more and more every week like we are getting towards some very, very strange territory that a lot of people, even people in the truth community, consistently want to avoid because it sounds crazy. It sounds like the sort of thing that'll cause you to lose your credibility immediately. Now, about a month ago, I was talking consistently about the existence or non-existence of nuclear weapons and how we should think about nuclear weapons in order to proceed responsibly when making decisions and thinking at a societal level. And all of that upset a lot of people because they said, you can't say this or you can't say that. You're going to compromise your credibility in front of people who aren't going to believe you anyway. Because, of course, those claims aren't about my credibility. My credibility is for me to worry about. And if you think that I no longer have credibility, 
then simply stop listening to my podcast. That is entirely your option to do at any time you choose to take it. But we are getting into some very weird stuff. I mean, let's be honest. We've spent the last year and a half having our understanding of Nazis revised by the Russia-Ukraine conflict. Did you see that one coming? I didn't. So on Devolution Power Hour on Saturday night, Patrick brought up an interaction he had with a good friend of his who certainly is not a standard issue villager by any means. Obviously, he's friends with Patrick, but he's also not prepared to just go stare into the abyss for a while. And so Patrick was discussing with him the Maui, quote unquote, wildfires, because Patrick had read a piece on his show, Reading Epic Threads on Rumble, asking whether or not the Maui fires were fake. And it wasn't presenting the case that they were fake. It was just exercising extreme skepticism and putting that on display. And in going through the article and through the argument the author was making, it was quite clear that some of the reporting was ridiculous. Some of the narrative elements were internally inconsistent. The story didn't make sense. Some of the pictures we were shown were clearly being doctored. There was footage that looked like it was from a video game. There was a lot wrong with the story. And in that situation, you should be exercising extreme skepticism at all times. But it actually went beyond that because then we had officials telling us that this was a result of climate change. We had a natural wildfire caused by maybe a downed power line or something, but exacerbated by a tropical storm or hurricane far, far away, 200 miles away. And of course, the sirens didn't work and the water didn't work. And then everything, but wait, not everything, not everyone's house was turned immediately into white ash, just some people's houses. And did the fires destroy wide swaths of some truly incredibly valuable real estate? Sure. But there can't be anything amiss about that. What are you, some kind of conspiracy theorist? None of it could have been caused by war or weapons of war. We shouldn't even talk about that. If you talk about that, you might lose some credibility. And by the way, I'm not saying I believe that. But I'm more than happy to have the conversation and listen to what people believe they know. You don't have to dig too far into any of it to understand that there are a lot of strange occurrences leading up to this event in Hawaii. You might remember a few years ago when there was that false flag nuclear warning targeting Hawaii saying missile inbound. We had the Chinese sky circles. And people have speculated about what they might be doing. Can they be weapon systems themselves? Hey, we don't know. There was, however, a story in CNET and elsewhere back in February of this year about a Chinese satellite shining green lasers down on Hawaii. Should we ignore that completely? Hey, maybe. Maybe it is an example of seeing a pattern where there is none. But is that the sort of thing that we should just dismiss out of hand if we actually want to figure out what in the world is going on down there? I don't think so. It doesn't hurt me to think about it. What am I going to do? Lose credibility among people who think I'm already crazy? I don't care about that. 
I would rather figure out what the hell is going on, or at least get a little closer. What conclusions am I supposed to draw other than if there are so many strange elements and inconsistencies and obvious falsehoods about a story, then it is responsible to doubt the underlying story itself. We should exercise extreme skepticism all the way down, which doesn't mean that we then substitute in a new explanation that we pretend must be true just because we know the default explanation is not and we're being lied to. But you got Hawaii Senator Maisie Hirono out there talking about how this is a result of climate change. It certainly is not a result of climate change. There is nothing natural looking about that fire. Are we just supposed to pretend it was a downed power line and a fire, a normal fire? just traveled across the area? Are we going to say that about all of these fires? We just kept excusing fires in California. I was out there. Everybody was just like, oh, well, you know, it is fire season. We actually had that in California. People talked about it. Oh, it's fire season again. And now in the world, according to the UN, at least we have global boiling. But those fires don't look natural. And there's something like half the world on fire right now. There are fires all over Canada. We had those fires a couple of months ago over Canada that made the skies an orangish gray all the way down to Washington, D.C. And that was totally natural. Oh, I know. It's all totally natural. Now, I want to be clear that I definitely don't know what the right answer is. I don't know the right answer. Not even sure I can get close to a right answer, but regardless of that, it is not more responsible. It does not show more intellectual integrity to take the answers supplied by the authoritative source and suggest that they are most likely true until we are able to fully disprove them in quotes on the basis of material facts derived from the world. There is no reason at this point to give the regime or its media the benefit of the doubt in assuming that they are trying hard to get the right story and bring it to all of us. There's no reason whatsoever to believe that there is absolutely no reason in the world to think that members of the regime's media are capable of exercising the discernment necessary to even understand what's going on while they're looking at it. So there is no point at which it becomes responsible relative to one's credibility to accept the default explanation in the absence of another confirmed conclusion. It's sad, but our world doesn't exist just to give us all the answers immediately. Sometimes we have to understand that we are in a permanent state of doubt and unknowing, and still we must guide our way through our lives. It would be much easier to have that authoritative source, but that would leave us inside this paradigm that so many people are clearly revolting from. Yes, it is comfortable in that mindset to believe that all the answers to all the questions can be had, or that at least if we were to live long enough, science would surely discover them. But that's not the real world. There are people out there in power right now who know what caused those fires and they're not telling us. 
There is no reason to believe that the people on the news are the ones who have gotten the closest to the answer. That doesn't explain all of these other fires. It doesn't even explain this fire. There are answers. We are not receiving them. If the people in power cared about what the real answers are, if they really cared about the problem, they would care about solutions. If they really cared about what the answers were, they wouldn't be on television telling us it is all the responsibility of climate change. Now, most people aren't going to think about any of this. They're not going to think it through. Even if they listen to what I just said, they're not going to accept that conclusion. That's all good. These people are not awake. They're not prepared to hear this sort of thing. They're not prepared to think about any of this. And it's because it's too truthery. That's the word that Patrick's friend used in describing what Patrick was talking about. He's like, I don't want to hear about that. That's too truthery. And Patrick respected that answer because it was honest. It was like, don't take me that far out on your ledge. If you want to be out there, all good. But I don't want to be out there with you. And there's some extent to which I agree with that and understand that. I don't want people to be afraid of these ideas, which is why so much of my thought and work is to try to present them in a way where people understand we are going to be in a better place once we get right relative to all these various issues. It's really important for us to get there. I also believe it's really important for these people to get there themselves as fast as they possibly can, because at this point, it is obvious to everyone who's awake that something really terrible is happening and it continues to happen for as long as these people continue to provide their consent and complicity. And that includes holding and arguing for some beliefs that are totally unfounded, that they received from authority, that they believe in support based on facts derived from the material world, that they think everyone knows and that they hold on to because of an incentive and punishment structure. They continue to hold these beliefs. They continue to profess these beliefs, even though the cost of professing those beliefs is rising every day as people wake up. It is not going to be okay in the future. It's not going to be enough to argue that everyone else was wrong in the same way you were. That's their ultimate defense. And I'm sure each and every one of you have heard it. Hey, Kami, masks don't work. They never did. Yeah, well, okay. You know, but everyone was wrong about that. No, everyone was not wrong about that. Hey, Kami, lockdowns didn't work. They never worked. Isn't that crazy? Well, yeah, but, you know, two weeks to slow the spread, we all thought that would work. No, we didn't all think that would work. And you go on down the line. It applies to the beliefs. It applies to the moral beliefs. They knew they couldn't support the position, but they didn't care. They made the calculation. Everyone believes this. Therefore, if I'm wrong, I can't be individually singled out by everyone because Everyone believes it. In fact, I can't be singled out by anyone because everyone believes it. Therefore, everyone must have a good reason not to know they're wrong. And if you have a good reason not to know you're wrong, then you can't be held responsible for it. 
They believe the thing that everyone knows is the best explanation available at that time. And because the experts believe it, that also means it's coming from the authoritative source. The people most likely to be right about this thing they admit they might be wrong about. Hey, we're not going to get all the answers, but we're the people best equipped to figure out those answers. And we are extremely honest. Except absolutely none of that is true. It is just an excuse to accept received arguments from authority. All the belief, all the responsibility for forming beliefs has been delegated to authority. I want these people to wake up for their own sakes so that they have less they have to forgive themselves for. So they have less they have to be embarrassed for. Because I know how I felt when I woke up. And I know how I think about how I used to think and how I used to act. I'm grateful for my experience and all that because it has brought me to the point I am at now. But it's not like I'm proud of everything I said and thought and did. And had I been awake and more connected to this reality than the false reality, I may not have done those things. And had the change happened earlier, I may have done fewer things that I would have rather not done. There are too many people awake now. The people who are awake see the people who are not awake, and they are going to remember those people's role long into the future. I have often called the people who will eventually be the quote-unquote victims of this good Germans because they are acting as the good Germans from World War II, the people who just went along with everything. They decided to go along to get along. They did what everyone was doing. We've seen it. It's almost been cliche at this point. But there was the meme, if you want to know what you would have done in Nazi Germany in World War II, you're doing it now. That meme was out there three years ago, and it's been three years of people continuing to do that stuff. Some people are three years into it, and they haven't even tried to get out. In fact, they're going even further down. That's sad. I want to get those people out of that. It makes me sad that people think things are too truthery for them to consider, but it feels like it's getting pretty late in the game, at least to me. And regardless, I'm not going to plan my approach based on what people like that will think of my credibility. And I talked about that at length a couple of weeks ago on the podcast. So the problem is, if people who don't think the conversation about the realness or the extent of the realness of the Maui fire situation, especially once they bring in the incident commander from the Las Vegas shooting, if people who are willing to have that conversation do not find it too truthery, but they stop talking about it because other people think it's too truthery and they're concerned about their credibility, well, then no one is talking about the one thing that might unlock the actual explanation for what the hell is going on. Do we need to ignore a subject because other people will think it's crazy? That just means we're giving the regime a free pass. We just allow them to use certain narratives 
however they want because we are too worried about our credibility and we're too worried about not losing that credibility in front of standard issue villagers that we are going to ignore entire schools of thought and entire potential realities in order to maintain our credibility in the eyes of people who wore masks in their cars. And we are getting, as I said at the beginning, a little late in the game. We are getting to some territory that includes a range of subjects that most people call too truthery, including people in the truth community. Some people think that election fraud machines are too truthery. They think hammer and scorecard are a conspiracy theory. Mike Lindell is some dumb pillow man. Dennis Montgomery is some kind of criminal or something. And that the J. Alex Alderman report describing how vulnerable to manipulation these machines are and how they can never provide an accurate or credible result ever is, I don't know, just fake. The report about the entire thing describing the material facts of the world is fake. We can't look at that at all. And then all the stuff suggesting that machine fraud is even possible. Well, that's been totally debunked. And by the way, that's the position that, quote unquote, everyone knows. But that's too truthery for some people. Some people think that COVID or the vaccine being planned as or used as a bioweapon in service of a depopulation agenda is too truthery. They don't care that the people in charge of doing all of this have run simulations and given speeches and held press conferences and announced in the news and science magazines and elsewhere and have devised and devoted entire fields of science to the study of these things, these ideas with centuries of history behind them. None of it could ever mean what you're suggesting it means, you dirty truther. That's too truthery. It all depends on your level of skepticism, your open mindedness and the ways you form belief. I leave everything out there just bouncing around in my brain because sooner or later I'll have some experience or I'll be driving alone in my car or I'll be researching for the podcast and it will occur to me that certain connections I had never made before may in fact explain something that was previously unexplained. And I love that experience. I value that experience. I treasure that experience. I want all the information. Tell me what you believe. Tell me what you believe. Tell me what you believe. I don't care at all how crazy it is. I will keep it in my head if information from the world begins to map on to that explanation. I'm going to start thinking it's less crazy and down the line, I might find out it's true. And that's already happened for me before. So I suspect it's possible it might happen again. And I'd like to believe that I would enjoy that experience every time I have it. I'm not sure about that. I'm not saying I'm definitely the most open-minded person in the world or anything like that. I might find a situation where I want to reject all new information. I don't know how the rest of my life is going to go. I don't even know how the rest of the week is going to go. But I'd like to think that I'm open-minded enough to be able to accept information from reality and consider it as objectively and unmotivatedly as I can. 
engaging with and attempting to understand ideas that people think are crazy is not some violation of intellectual principles. It's the upholding of intellectual principles because you can't know an idea is crazy if you don't know anything about it. I hope that my mind is open to new information across every aspect of my life while being certain that I will probably fail. But knowing that I will eventually fail, maybe more than once, does not deter me from maintaining the goal of keeping an open mind to new information, even on something that might initially sound crazy or that I know other people call crazy. And I certainly do not want to create a situation in culture where no one is looking into ideas that I think sound crazy. It's not for me to approve of what other people are thinking about, and it's not for me to determine where the edge of other people's thought might be appropriate for expressing in public. That's what I mean when I talk about informational gatekeeping. People are telling me not to think about whether or not we've been lied to about nuclear weapons. Who is that designed to help? It's certainly not going to help me. And it's definitely not going to help anyone if nuclear weapons happen to be fake. And I don't know. But if they happen to be fake and no one has ever talked about it before because they think it's silly or too truthery, well, then we're in big, big trouble because then the regime gets to hold that over our heads forever. And it turns out that's exactly what they've been doing, isn't it? How do we advance if we are setting the standards for what can be discussed while still considering someone a serious person? I want no part of that conversation. I want people to talk about whatever the hell they want. And sometimes if an idea sounds appealing to me, I'm going to share that idea even though I don't know it's true because I want to know what people think about it. That's how we learn from one another. That's how we have new ideas coming in from the outside. And while I'm perfectly capable of coming up with plenty of new ideas on my own, I'm certainly not going to get to all of them, which means that someone else with a different brain and a different set of life experiences might help awaken me to an entirely different point of view that I could not have gotten to otherwise. We have to allow people to think about the difficult stuff, the stuff that we think we would look like stupid people in the eyes of others if we were to believe. No one is forcing you to hold any of those beliefs if you think they're crazy. And certainly no one's forcing you to talk about them. But just because it's too truthery for you doesn't mean that it's too truthery for everyone. And if those ideas that are too truthery just happen to be true, then you're inhibiting the pursuit of truth by trying to attach a social incentive and punishment structure to the belief in those ideas. That is the party of false decorum active within our community. I've said many times, as far away from the party of false decorum as you can go, parts of your life 
will still be affected by it until you become conscious of them and until you work to leave the party in that respect, too. Now, I say all this because talking about the weather as if it can be anything but a natural occurrence is a very, very difficult subject and very truthery. And I will say from jump that I know very, very little about the body of information on this subject, which is why I am not going to pretend to be able to make any authoritative claims whatsoever about any of it. Now, that said, once we begin talking about wildfires as if it is climate change, that basically equates it to an aspect of weather in people's minds. It was too hot and too dry on this tropical island because of climate change. The weather was too hot and too dry because of climate change. The weather being too hot and too dry set the conditions for a fire of this type. Now, also, there was a hurricane out in the ocean because of climate change, more severe because of climate change. It changed the weather. The winds blew. That exacerbated the too hot, too dry problem. And we had this massive fire of historic proportions burning down almost everything except certain people's houses. Now, I am parsing that in a way that might make some of it sound humorous, but that is essentially what we are being told. Climate change has changed the weather in these certain ways. It actually enhances the severity of natural disasters. We have been told that for years, each and every devastating hurricane everywhere from New Orleans throughout the Gulf and up the east coast of the United States, we are told is exacerbated by climate change. I didn't make this up. This is what they tell us. They also tell us that because of the frequency and severity of natural disasters in the last 10 to 20 years, though they are not actual outliers in reality, are nonetheless outliers. They are so severe, they're happening so often because of climate change. Climate change has set the conditions for these severe disasters, these natural disasters, to happen more and more often. I didn't make that up. That is part of the central narrative. That is the official story derived from the authoritative source. We are told that because the disasters increase in severity and frequency, that is proof of the climate change that caused them and that it will always go this way in the future unless everyone across the entire planet agrees to global governance and then hands over every ounce of wealth, status and power they can muster to the global regime because they are the only ones with their experts who could ever possibly fix it. All of these disasters will continue to mount in their frequency and their severity until the people go along with that program. But also it's far too late and these disasters will maintain this frequency and severity forever because you guys took too long. That's not my story. It's their story. Immediately following the Maui fires, we hear all about climate change and how we need to give them more money, more power, 
more status to fix climate change for us. We doubted them. That was wrong of us. Now these incidents are increasing in their frequency and severity, and we only have ourselves to blame. We should have gotten rid of plastic straws much earlier. That would have saved us, but we didn't do that. In fact, in some places, we still have plastic straws. And if that's the case, well, then we're going to have global boiling and we're going to have a whole lot of fires across very expensive real estate. All of it, of course, in Democrat strongholds. Now, they'll call for a state of emergency. They will change whatever laws they want during that emergency. They will create all new sources of funding to deal with the emergency. Joe Biden is going to send all those families $700 and send Ukraine billions and billions more. Those citizens, I'm sure, will be overjoyed. And then eventually some package will be passed that will pay them a very hefty sum for their now worthless property that they are never going to be allowed to rebuild on. So they really have no choice to sell. And at that point, well, hey, guy, yeah, we took your we took your home. But uh, consider this. You're going to be, well, not rich, but I mean, in some ways richer than you were. These are the results from not obeying them when it comes to the weather. And I know, I know people will say you shouldn't talk about these things. You don't care about the thousand people dead and all the children missing. And if I need to tell you what is wrong with that, then maybe you're new to the show. But that's insane. I don't grant at all that the media is telling me the truth about people who are dead and missing. So to try to hold that over my head as an emotional appeal that somehow dismisses all of the other aspects of this story, well, I'm not going to ever even consider accepting that, and you shouldn't either. And if you get confronted with that, ask that person how any of their families are helped by ignoring all the exploitation that comes as a result of no one ever getting to the bottom of the story. Are those poor people helped by us all ignoring these obvious truths about how this is being presented to us? No, there's no help there whatsoever. Emotional appeal, failure. Now, right on the heels of this Maui fire that we were being told was the most important thing that ever happened, we should focus all our energy on that. And know that we have to obey in the future regarding climate change or this sort of thing could happen to us again. Well, right on the heels of that, we're told that there is going to be a once in a century Pacific hurricane that is going to hit Mexico and Southern California with disastrous effects. And that is exactly what happened over the weekend, or so we're told. I lived in California for 18 and a half years in Southern California, in Los Angeles. And I have been there during the summer, during the winter. I have been there on rainy years and years they say were drought years. I have experienced earthquakes in Los Angeles. I have experienced the range of weather available to experience in Los Angeles, which is admittedly a very small range although not as small as some people think. Anyhow, back in February of 2005, Los Angeles got the second most rainfall in a month in history. It was raining 
all the time. It felt like it was raining every day for the entire month. And if you go check the record and find out it was only 15 or 16 days, fine. But I think it was far more than that. Regardless, second most rain in a month ever in Los Angeles. It rained so hard that streets were regularly flooding because, first of all, drainage there is terrible. It doesn't rain that much. When it does, it's not usually a huge amount of rain. So you don't need a ton of drainage to keep Los Angeles streets relatively dry for the most part. But streets were flooding. Entire houses were washing down the hill in Laurel Canyon. There were at least a few various power outages. Things were really weird. It was like 37 or 38 inches of rain in that month in L.A. That is not at all normal. But it wasn't a hurricane and it wasn't described as a natural disaster and it wasn't attributed to climate change. It was just a lot of rain. So I've been in Los Angeles, I've been in Southern California and experienced a lot of rain and I know what it looks like. But this weekend we were told Los Angeles was going to get a devastating hurricane, Hurricane Hillary. And lots of very funny jokes emerged from that regarding Hillary Clinton. Well done, everybody. But Hurricane Hillary inbound for Mexico and Southern California. And last night, we got some videos of some flooding in Mexico, which may or may not have happened. It looked very much like a bunch of flooding videos that came out of China the last couple of years. Is the flooding real or not? Who knows? What caused the flooding? Who knows? Can we just accept that it was the weather that caused the flooding? Maybe. I mean, what's the status of the drainage situation? at that place? Is it possible to stop up those drains and create flooding if you want a story about flooding and you want targeted flooding? Well, yeah, it's possible. Does it happen? I have no idea. But there was a hell of a lot of flooding in China, and it looked awfully similar to the flooding videos we were seeing out of Mexico. We got flooding videos from Palm Springs, the literal desert where they don't really have drainage. And so we saw streets filled with water. Looked like you couldn't even drive around. The news told us it was so dangerous that a fire truck had to turn around and go a different direction. Was it traveling to save someone from a fire? No. So it was a relatively convenient time to turn around and go deal with something else. But the point is that there was water in the streets and because there was extreme water in the streets, that meant we were having an extreme weather event. Hurricane Hillary, like they told us was going to happen. And look how bad it is. It's just as bad as we said it was going to be. You can tell because the streets, at least somewhere, are sort of filled with some water. Do you really want to say Hurricane Hillary's not real when you can see six inches of water in the undrainable streets of Palm Springs? Are you really going to say Hurricane Hillary is not a devastating result of climate change when you can see videos of Mexican flooding that look exactly like videos of Chinese flooding? What are you, some kind of conspiracy theorist? I mean... Sure, we did put out videos of people falling over dead in China from COVID. And then we put out videos of people falling over dead in Italy from COVID. 
And that was enough. Everybody was appropriately scared of COVID at that point and never again considered those videos of people falling over dead, even though they have realized that had they not watched television at all and not listened to standard issue villagers because of social incentives and punishment structures, no one would have ever known that we had a pandemic. But these videos of flooding, some of it extraordinarily mild, are proof that a devastating hurricane was here. It would be like if Hurricane Hillary just took out her pocket knife and carved Hillary was here into a tree just so no one could ever doubt that Hillary was W-U-Z actually there. And you can't get through a Southern California hurricane without talking about what happens in Los Angeles. So we were presented with pictures of Dodger Stadium's parking lot completely flooded. Now that would have been a lot of water. You got to wonder how all that water is there and not really anywhere else. Because if you talk to anybody in Los Angeles, they'll tell you, eh, it was basically just normal rain. How do I know that? Because I've talked to a bunch of them. People were so ready to believe that there was a devastating weather event in Los Angeles that a video clip of the water ride at Universal City went viral and required fact checks from Newsweek and other outlets. A massive weather event not to be outdone. You can't just declare a hurricane in a place where hurricanes never happen, at least not since 1939, and not have some seriously devastating water footage. So people wanted to get that water footage out there. And it did turn out to be a ride from Universal Studios theme parks. But Hurricane Hillary came and went and was basically nothing. Is it proof of climate change or not? I mean, it's got to be climate change if we're having the first hurricane since 1939. But on the other hand, is it the first hurricane if all it does is sort of rain? And if the hurricane hasn't happened since 1939, how do we know it's increasing in frequency? And if it's very weak, how do we know that it's increasing in severity? And if it's not increasing in frequency or severity, does that mean that climate change is reversing? Now, you might say, hey, that's not fair. You can't say things like that. These are not my theories. These are the logical conclusions of their theories. This is the logic they have employed. I am drawing conclusions from their logical construct based on what's happening in the world. But that's not all, because the hurricane was not the end of the story. We were told California was going to get a very natural disaster and we need one still. So as people were beginning to get disappointed by Hurricane Hillary, we got instead some California earthquakes. This is from Fox LA. More than a dozen earthquakes rocked Southern California amid tropical storm Hillary. 
A preliminary 5.1 magnitude earthquake was reported in Ventura County Sunday afternoon and then followed by about a dozen shocks. According to the U.S. Geological Survey, the earthquake happened around 2.41 p.m. with a magnitude of 5.1. The quake was reported about 4.3 miles southeast of Ojai with about 9 miles in depth. Seconds after the earthquake, at least 17 aftershocks were reported, all centered around Ojai. Its preliminary magnitudes were reported between 2.5 and 3.9. The series of shakes knocked over wine bottles at the Westridge Family Markets, a grocery store in Ojai. Thankfully, grocery store workers were able to clean up the mess shortly after the earthquakes hit the area. Oh, I cannot imagine the devastation. So after days of hype about a very natural disaster that was going to afflict Southern California, as it began to seem that that very natural disaster, was not going to live up to the hype, live up to its billing, we get another very natural disaster, an earthquake. In fact, at least a dozen earthquakes. In fact, one earthquake with 17 shocks. And I guess, unfortunately, depending on your viewpoint, the earthquake didn't matter either, though it was certainly hyped up. There were news organizations reporting from the emergency control centers that the last thing these emergency coordinators needed during Hurricane Hillary was all of these earthquakes. Holy moly. It's like a disaster movie. What's going to happen? Who's going to save the day? And it turns out that absolutely nobody needs to save the day because all it was was just a little rain. Now that hurricane we were told was going to be the result of climate change. Climate change had made it so there would be an increase in the frequency and severity of natural disasters. And I know what you're saying. How can climate change affect earthquakes? And normally I would say, yeah, that does make sense. You sound right. I guess you got me. But then all you have to do is put in an Internet search on climate change impact on earthquakes and you can find all sorts of articles about how climate change has an impact on earthquakes. Here's a headline from The Guardian. This is 2016. How climate change triggers earthquakes, tsunamis, and volcanoes. You can find all sorts of articles about the subject, like this one from absolute, unequivocal, authoritative source, NASA. This is climate.nasa.gov, October 29th, 2019. Can climate affect earthquakes or are the connections shaky? And here's the conclusion. Lundgren says that when he first started studying earthquakes, everything was focused on understanding them within the context of plate tectonics and processes happening within Earth's crust. But that's now changing. In the past decade or so, with the widespread adoption of new technologies such as GPS that have greater spatial distribution and sensitivity, people have also begun looking at other second-order effects, other factors that might have an influence on earthquakes, he said. It's very intriguing to be able to find potential links between earthquakes and climate, such as seasonal differences. The challenge, however, is squaring such connections with fundamental physics. 
We're not close to being able to predict when an earthquake may occur as a result of climate processes, he concluded. Even if we know that some outside climate process is potentially affecting a fault system, since we don't know the fault's potential state of readiness to break, we can't yet make that extra inference to say, aha, I might get a quake a week or a month later. So they don't know when they're coming. They don't know when climate change is going to create them. But there's definitely something there. They're firmly committed to continuing to study how and whether climate change affects earthquakes. They want to advance their thinking beyond plate tectonics. I guess that's not it now. It's not the plates shifting within the earth. Oh, no, no, no. I know you would never imply something like that. You just mean that the weather up here that has changed so much is affecting the way the plates move against one another. Or maybe not that it is, just that it might be. And we should at least focus our study on that. And by the way, just in the case of better safe than sorry, we had better focus more on the climate change agenda unless you want more earthquakes. And now that we've told you this, if there are more earthquakes because you assholes didn't get rid of the plastic straws, ho, 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 they are going to increase in frequency and severity. Now, if the weather, if the climate can affect earthquakes and earthquakes are responsive to the weather and to the climate, then in some sense, earthquakes are part of climate, certainly in the same way that hurricanes are. And we've already discussed how wildfires are part of climate, which means all of the very natural disasters are part of climate. They're all actually just the weather. Fires are weather. Earthquakes are weather. All of it is weather. All of it increases in frequency and severity due to climate change. Which means unless you want more of it, you need to do what we say. Now, do I know they're able to produce more of it? No, I don't. But are we allowed to talk about whether or not they might be? I mean, we know that harp is a real thing, and I'm certainly no expert on it, but this is the Wikipedia entry. The High Frequency Active Auroral Research Program, H-A-A-R-P, HARP, is a University of Alaska Fairbanks program which researches the ionosphere, the highest ionized part of Earth's atmosphere. The most prominent instrument at HARP is the Ionospheric Research Instrument, a high-power radio frequency transmitter facility operating in the high-frequency band. The IRI is used to temporarily excite a limited area of the ionosphere. Other instruments such as VHF and a UHF radar, a flux gate magnetometer, and a digisonda, an ionospheric sounding device, and an induction magnetometer are used to study the physical processes that occur in the excited region. Initially, HARP was jointly funded by the U.S. Air Force, the U.S. Navy, the University of Alaska Fairbanks, and the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, where all the best stuff comes from. It was designed and built by BAE Advanced Technologies. Its original purpose was to analyze the ionosphere 
and investigate the potential for developing ionospheric enhancement technology for radio communications and surveillance. Wikipedia also notes that HARP is a target of conspiracy theorists who claim that it is capable of weaponizing weather. Commentators and scientists say that advocates of this and other conspiracy theories are wrong, as claims made fall well outside the abilities of the facility, if not the scope of natural science. So basically, it's possible, but not at this facility, and the authoritative source says it's not true, therefore it's not true, therefore it's a conspiracy theory, therefore we should ignore this real thing entirely. Now, do I know that HARP can affect and control the weather? I don't know. That's not for me to say. I am certain that people who know quite a bit more about it than I do would say that it absolutely can control the weather. And then other people who know more about it than I do would say it can't. So I just leave it bouncing around in my head and I see how reality develops and what picture it fits over time while considering that there's a whole lot of things I don't know and a whole lot of powers that the government has reserved for itself. And there's absolutely nothing they would ever lie about. So I have to consider that it is at least possible that they are able to have some effect on the weather that they tell us human activity can affect. You see, you can affect the weather and make it worse over time but they cannot affect the weather and make it worse in a much shorter time. Now, is that true? Hey, maybe again, I don't know, but they're not really talking about it in the right ways. If they want us to believe that. And also they tell us how much worse the weather is going to get, how natural disasters will be increasing in their frequency and severity. If we don't go along with their climate change agenda, that is what they are telling us. We have to be certain that they're not controlling anything whatsoever to think that any of their climate change narrative is true. And it has to be true because that's how they get all the power from everybody. Ultimately, like nuclear weapons and pandemics and AI, these are all existential crises for us unless we give them all the power, the wealth, and the control. The increasing frequency and severity of very natural disasters proves the increasing impact of climate change and the need for everyone to give over more wealth and status and power, and it will continue to increase into the future until they have everything they want. So there are certainly a range of reasonable incentives that map onto the reality we are witnessing and learning about right now that would indicate they would benefit from their ability to exercise any influence whatsoever, no matter how small, on the weather, on the climate, on the narrative about both, and on the natural disasters themselves. Now, again, do I know they have that sort of control? No, I don't. But I do know that if they did, the likelihood is that they would be using it in these exact ways because of the wide range of incentives provided by an ability to do that within the construct we already understand about them that at this point 
maps better onto reality than any other possible set of circumstances to the point where this basically has to be true or we're all in a simulation, which, by the way, might be it. Are we characters in an iteration of God playing SimCity? Hey, maybe. But now that we've got all that in place, I'm going to go one step truthery-er. This is going to be the most truthery thing we've talked about the entire time. Are you ready? Because at the end of this, you're going to be like, well, yep, that's pretty truthery. Are you ready for it? It's really wild and wacky stuff. This is from the website of the United Nations Environment Program. It's unep.org. This is a press release from the 23rd of February, 2022. And it reads, number of wildfires to rise by 50% by 2100 and governments are not prepared. Experts warn. Three bullet points to start. Even the Arctic, previously all but immune, faces rising wildfire risk, experts say, ahead of the UN Environment Assembly in Nairobi. So the Arctic wilderness is going to catch on fire. You thought Canada was too far north to be on fire all the time? No, my friend. Try the North Pole. Go norther. Bullet point number two. Wildfires and climate change are, quote, mutually exacerbating. You get that? Climate change makes the wildfires worse and wildfires make the climate change worse. Huh. What a disaster this very natural disaster is. Bullet point three, governments are called to radically shift their investments in wildfires to focus on prevention and preparedness. So what do we have here? A massive, extraordinary threat to humankind that has not yet occurred, but, you know, we're saying it's going to. And the solution is to give them more wealth, more power, more status, and make sure that everybody out there knows that if they don't go along with the climate change agenda, then it's because they want the world to burn. Let's listen to the United Nations Environment Program from the end of February of last year, 18 months ago. Tell us about how there's going to be a massive increase in the frequency and severity of fires, these very natural disasters, you know, even if they start with a downed power line, as always. Climate change and land use change are projected to make wildfires more frequent and intense. You see that if you use land in the wrong way, then you're creating or exacerbating climate change. So climate change and land use change projected to make wildfires more frequent and intense, as always. With a global increase of extreme fires up to 14% by 2030, 30% by the end of 2050, and 50% by the end of the century, according to a new report by the UN Environment Program and Grid 
Arendal. The paper calls for a radical change in government spending on wildfires, shifting their investments from reaction and response to prevention and preparedness. The report, spreading like wildfire, the rising threat of extraordinary landscape fires, finds an elevated risk even for the Arctic and other regions previously unaffected by wildfires. Isn't that crazy? Very natural disasters occurring even in places where those disasters would not naturally occur. But hey, that's all right. We know from science that nothing that happened before ever mattered because this age is so different. The report is released before the resumed fifth session of the UN Environment Assembly as it convenes in Nairobi between 28 February and 2 March 2022. The publication calls on governments to adopt a new fire-ready formula with two-thirds of spending devoted to planning, prevention, preparedness, and recovery, with one-third left for response. Currently, direct responses to wildfires typically receive over half of related expenditures, while planning receives less than 1%. So what we're going to need to do is push all the money toward the problem that hasn't developed yet, and then... When the problem gets really terrible, as we'll allow it to, we'll say it's because there wasn't enough funding. So you get some money on the front end to prevent these very natural disasters. And then you get money on the back end because, whoops, you failed again. To prevent fires, authors call for a combination of data and science-based monitoring systems with indigenous knowledge and for a stronger regional and international cooperation. Monitoring systems. They want monitoring systems to prevent fires. It's like if Klaus Schwab and Smokey the Bear became the same person. Only you can prevent forest fires and the polycrisis. Current government responses to wildfires are often putting money in the wrong place. Those emergency service workers and firefighters on the front lines who are risking their lives to fight forest wildfires need to be supported, said Inger Anderson, UNEP executive director. We have to minimize the risk of extreme wildfires by being better prepared, invest more in fire risk reduction, work with local communities, and strengthen global commitment to fight climate change. So apparently, only the global regime can prevent forest fires. You can't do jack shit, but you can give them all your money so that the smart people can handle it. Because you, dummy, you can't do it. You can't figure out how to make sure there's never a downed power line ever again. And hey, Sorry about your homes and loved ones, everybody, but all of your neighbors didn't give us enough money to be able to fund enough studies so that we could one day be advised about a smart plan for fire prevention. So really, it's your friends and neighbors fault. Wildfires disproportionately affect the world's poorest nations with an impact that extends for days, weeks, and even years after the flames subside. They impede progress toward the U.N. Sustainable Development Goals and deepen 
social inequalities. You see that? Fires are even worse on poor people. So you should feel guilty. You should feel privileged. Why don't you care about the vulnerable? Why don't you care about the marginalized? Are you racist? Why are you trying to impede progress toward the UN Sustainable Development Goals and causing more very natural disasters in the meantime? More bullet points for this time. People's health is directly affected by inhaling wildfire smoke, causing respiratory and cardiovascular impacts and increased health effects for the most vulnerable. So you see, it's not even long COVID now. It's the fires caused by climate change because you didn't obey. The economic costs of rebuilding after areas are struck by wildfires can be beyond the means of low-income countries. So unless you want to make everything worse on the world's most vulnerable, give us all your money and control. Watersheds are degraded by wildfires pollutants. They can also lead to soil erosion, causing more problems for waterways. So then they're going to have a water shortage. But the water shortage is because they're protecting you from the water, which is now dangerous because of climate change. Why did climate change happen? Because you didn't give them enough power and status and wealth and control. Wastes left behind are often highly contaminated and require appropriate disposal. And that, if you don't take care of it, is going to cause even more climate change because pollution and climate change are the same, at least in your head, dummy. Wildfires and climate change are mutually exacerbating. Wildfires are made worse by climate change through the increased drought, high air temperatures, low relative humidity, lightning, and strong winds, resulting in hotter, drier, and longer fire seasons. At the same time, climate change is made worse by wildfires, mostly by ravaging sensitive and carbon-rich ecosystems like peatlands and rainforests. This turns landscapes into tinderboxes, making it harder to halt rising temperatures. You see that once they burn away all your vegetation, then it's going to feel hot all the time. And if they can't burn it away, well, then, hey, why not import some Chinese insect that will destroy the environment so we don't have to do a fire? And then you look at the mid-Atlantic region this summer and last summer and you find out that they have this thing called lanternflies that do exactly that. And somehow... Because those lanternflies got over here from China, the way to defeat them is to import Chinese wasps. Am I making that up? Of course I'm not. NPR from August of last year. In Pennsylvania, where the problem in the U.S. originated, experts imported tiny wasps, which are a natural predator of the spotted lanternfly in China. So bugs can destroy vegetation just like fires can. All of this has a devastating impact on climate change. And by the way, because bugs are part of nature, that means they're also part of weather. Because of course, sometimes there are more bugs based on the weather or fewer bugs based on the weather. The weather changes because of climate change, but also the other way around. The bugs destroy the vegetation, the vegetation, now it can't keep things as cool, which makes everything hotter, which, you know, makes more climate change.
And I really want to read this again, because consider what you're being told right here. Climate change causes everything. Climate change is made worse by wildfires. And once the landscape is burned away, it's going to get worse. Here's the paragraph. Wildfires and climate change are mutually exacerbating. Wildfires are made worse by climate change through increased drought, high air temperatures, low relative humidity, lightning, and strong winds resulting in hotter, drier, and longer fire seasons. At the same time, climate change is made worse by wildfires, mostly by ravaging sensitive and carbon-rich ecosystems like peatlands and rainforests. This turns landscapes into tinderboxes, making it harder to halt rising temperatures. Now imagine your world on fire. All of these very natural disasters happening at one time. Wildlife and its natural habitats are rarely spared from wildfires, pushing some animal and plant species closer to extinction. A recent example is the Australian 2020 brush fires, which are estimated to have wiped out billions of domesticated and wild animals. So not only is climate change devastating to you, it's devastating to all the cute things that you have this natural affinity for. And it's all your fault because you bastards wouldn't let us get rid of plastic straws in time. All of the cute animals are dead and it's all your fault. Give us money now. There is a critical need to better understand the behavior of wildfires. Achieving and sustaining adaptive land and fire management requires a combination of policies, a legal framework and incentives that encourage appropriate land and fire use. The restoration of ecosystems is an important avenue to mitigate the risk of wildfires before they occur and to build back better in their aftermath. Build back better. Well, I'll be damned. That is the great reset agenda. We were told we had to build back better after COVID because the pandemic nearly destroyed everything and we need to make our society more resilient. Build Back Better is the Great Reset Agenda. Build Back Better is the global agenda and we are being told that the way we must respond to wildfires is to build back better. Otherwise, the climate's just going to keep on changing and these very natural disasters will keep occurring with increasing frequency and severity. It's a very pertinent question to ask, how do we build back better? To build back better or whatever. You have a chance to reset the clock and build back better than before. To build back better than before. Remember the, the terrible damage of COVID as we try to build back from this uh, global pandemic. Joe Biden calls it build back better. Build back better. Building back better. To do things differently. To build back better. We're going to build it back better. And build it back better. In my plan to build back better, uh, start taking all the problems that have been created in right. education and mental health and start to, to build back in a positive way. I have launched a booklet called Build Back Better, written after coronavirus. It's about building this country back better. Growing conspiracy following it. It is called the Great Reset. An unprecedented opportunity to rethink 
and reset the ways in which we live. The great opportunity for reset. The theory even calls Mr. Biden's campaign slogan, Build Back Better, a front for the conspiracy. Build back better. Building back better our economy. Build back better. All elements of the Great Reset are fundamental to building the future we need. And that video goes on. And of course, the Great Reset is not a conspiracy theory. Klaus Schwab of the World Economic Forum wrote a book called COVID-19, The Great Reset. It's not a conspiracy theory. Build Back Better is their central thing. That is what they do. They have disasters. And after the disaster, you build back better. Now, unfortunately, when the disasters are very natural, that means that they can't be prevented. But we nonetheless have to build back better, as it says in this document from the U.N. Again, the restoration of ecosystems is an important avenue to mitigate the risk of wildfires before they occur and to build back better in the aftermath. Wetlands restoration and the reintroduction of species such as beavers, peatlands restoration, building at a distance from vegetation and preserving open space buffers are some examples of the essential investments into prevention, preparedness and recovery. And this itself is part of a much larger agenda worth reading about in Prussiagate. It's about lands being seized under the guise of environmental protection, but basically just being taken under the control of the World Wildlife Foundation and ultimately the global regime. And yeah, I know it sounds truthery, but it also just happens to be true. The report concludes with a call for stronger international standards for the safety and health of firefighters and for minimizing the risks that they face before, during, and after operations. This includes raising awareness of the risks of smoke inhalation, minimizing the potential for life-threatening entrapments and providing firefighters with access to adequate hydration, nutrition, rest, and recovery between shifts. So that's the official report coming out of the United Nations Environment Program. Climate change makes wildfires worse and wildfires make climate change worse. So what we need to do is invest tons of money worldwide into the same programs in order to prevent fires that we will not prevent because unfortunately they are already increasing in frequency and severity and we're just going to try to be better prepared to deal with them when they happen because we have no other choice about them happening even though we're going to invest all this money in their prevention. And because they are so devastating and so constantly devastating in the future, we are telling you will absolutely happen. What we're going to need to do again and again is build back better. And that's how this wildfire program goes right in line with the rest of the agenda that we're already putting in place. It's so unfortunate that we have to deal with this brand new problem of wildfires increasing in frequency and severity. But hey, there's nothing we can do about it. That's the weather. It's all climate change. These are very natural disasters. Or is that too truthery? Now, because of the extraordinary length of this podcast and the last one, I may not put one up tomorrow. We'll just see what the news is. If there's something important going on that I want to talk about, I'll definitely do it. Expect one tomorrow. I'm just saying I reserve the right. 
just in case, because as I said a few weeks ago, I really, really want to get myself to a place where I am better able to focus on writing so that I can produce an equal amount of this stuff, but that stuff as well. So I will be back tomorrow or worst case Wednesday at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month, comes out to under a quarter per episode, and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com, and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree, linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm Your Moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at imyourmoderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct 
shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!